Welcome to the Emmanuel Baptist Church Podcast. We pray that the sermon you're about to hear would be useful as you grow in your love for God and your love for His church. Now, here's today's sermon. Today, um, I want us to look at a number of Proverbs which give warning and caution to the appetites that we naturally have. So, broadly and generally, I want us to really look at the theme of appetite in general. All appetites, all thirsts and desires. There are proverbs that speak to the appetites that we have for food, right? Which abused could lead to gluttony. Appetites for sex, which can lead to adultery. Appetites for alcohol, which can lead to drunkenness. And it brings us to question, what do we do with appetite? What do we do with our appetites? Should we always suppress them? Should we, should we always work to curb our appetite? Does it depend on the appetite? What it is? Is there a time to indulge and to enjoy these natural desires that we have? And if it's an appetite that we can enjoy in Christian liberty, what are some guidelines that we should follow regarding these appetites? These are things that I, I, I think naturally come to our minds and things that I, I'd hope that we can address. Of course, not exhaustively, but maybe we can start to chip away at some of these questions. My goal is really twofold. Firstly, to communicate warning about appetites as Proverbs does. Communicate warning about your appetite. They so quickly can do incredible damage to your life. So I want to communicate warning about appetite while balancing, and this is really the second element to my goal, is balancing out and being mindful of our Christian freedoms which is also found all throughout God's Word. So I want to warn us about appetite while balancing, respecting, and acknowledging Christian liberty and enjoying God-given gifts. These are things we have to balance, and I want and I hope to do that well tonight. Uh, My hope ultimately is that all of us would humbly open, uh, open ourselves to all of Scripture and be willing to submit to it regardless of the stances that we have that we would all humbly sit under God's Word and consider it. So, let's dive right in. First, we need to know this, that not all appetites are the same, right? Not all appetites are the same. Some appetites are deadly, both physically and spiritually could lead to your death and simply should never be fed, ever. They should always be suppressed, always worked to be curbed all the time. I think Colossians 3.8 is really helpful in that. Um, But now you must put these things away. Anger, wrath, malice, slander, and obscene talk from from your mouth. So anytime you would have this urge to lash out in wrath, you should always curb that. Anytime you would want to slander 
in malice towards another person or speak obscenely, you should suppress that urge. Right? So there are appetites, there are urges and desires that are deadly to us if we entertain them and succumb to them. And so we should always work to against them and not feed them. But many appetites are not inherently bad. Many appetites are not inherently bad. In fact, our human appetite, the general concept of an appetite, is a gift from God, isn't it? It really is. Without the gift of hunger and longing, we wouldn't be able to long and hunger for God. And it's the Beatitudes that says, hunger and thirst for righteousness. And so the very reality that you and I would have longings for anything is an ability for us to long after good things. Appetite is a blessing from God. And in fact, Proverbs even shows that appetite serves practical purposes. That it motivates us and it drives us, if it's a good appetite, to good things. Consider Proverbs 16, verse 26. A worker's appetite works for him, not against him, for him. His mouth urges him on. So think about that. I mean, it's very practical. It's very, Proverbs is very practical. A man needs to eat. He's hungry. He better go out, make some money so he can buy some food. Your hunger will actually urge you on to work so that you can eat. Appetite practically serves us, and it's a good gift from God. So, some appetites are bad. Some are good, not inherently bad. And so our, sometimes difficult, job is to analyze each of our appetites according to Scripture to see if it's a good appetite or a bad appetite? Is it a good desire, or is it an evil desire? We need to analyze each appetite according to Scripture, and I think when we do that, there are two criteria which we should really consider when analyzing our appetites, and if we should give ourselves to them or not. Firstly, we need to consider the object that we are craving and wanting. The object itself Is it something that is always off limits, inherently evil by nature? We have to look at what it is and what God says to that substance. Proverbs 23, verse 26 through 27. Consider this. It says, my son, give me your heart and let your eyes observe my ways. For a prostitute is a deep pit. An adulteress is a narrow well. So he's saying the, the, the desire for a prostitute to go seek out, find, and spend time with sexually a prostitute is never a good desire. It's never helpful. It will never serve you well. Ten out of ten times it will harm you. Every time. So he says don't look at, don't desire her. It will always turn out bad. So we have to consider the object itself. Is it always off limits, inherently evil? But maybe it's not. Food's not. And so if it passes this step that it's not inherently evil, 
then we can move on to the second criteria. If it's not inherently evil, and it can be good, then the second criteria we have to consider when analyzing our appetites is the extent of our desire for it. So if, is, if it isn't evil by nature, and what it is, it can be evil by how much it consumes you. If your thirst is never satisfied, it's an idol. It's an idol taking up too much of your attention. Listen to Proverbs 13, 25. The righteous has enough to satisfy his appetite. But the belly of the wicked suffers want. You see what it's saying there? That it's the wicked man who is constantly wanting more, never satisfied with it, always needing to keep feasting on what he wants. So if your thirst is never satisfied, hear me, it's an idol no matter what it is that you want. This is true with food, right? God made for food for us to delight in, didn't he? But too much of it and an obsession for it is gluttony and it's sin. A deadly sin. Not inherently evil by what it is itself. Food is not inherently evil, but the extent of our desire for it can be sinful. This is true for sex as well, right? To the glory of God, sex should be fun and enjoyable. That shouldn't be awkward to say. Sex is a good gift from God, and He's made it pleasurable for a reason. He made it pleasurable for a reason. Proverbs 5 18 and 19, let your fountain be blessed and rejoice in the wife of your youth. A lovely deer, a graceful doe, let her breasts fill you at all times with delight. Be intoxicated always in her love. Do you see, sex can be a great thing that God's given us to enjoy and love and indulge in. But it's a gift that can be consuming, all-consuming, and thus sinful. It can become an idol. For many people, it is. And then there's alcohol. I think alcohol fits in this category. Not sinful in and of itself, but easily can be sinful in the extent of our desire for it or consumption of it. There's no way around it. There really isn't. There's no way around it. Just like food and just like sex, God made alcohol for man to delight in. This is true. This is biblical. God made alcohol for man to delight in. Psalm 104, verses 10 through 15. Listen to these words. This is a psalmist writing about God. And he says, You make springs gush forth in the valleys. They flow between the hills. They give drink to every beast of the field. The wild donkeys quench their thirst. Beside them, the birds of the heavens dwell. They sing among the branches. From your lofty abode, you water the mountains. The earth is satisfied with the fruit of your work. 
You cause the grass to grow for the livestock and the plants for man to cultivate that he may bring forth food from the earth and wine to gladden the heart of man, oil to make his face shine, and bread to strengthen man's heart. Doesn't sound like alcohol is sinful by nature. In fact, God made alcohol for man to delight in. But it can so easily be mishandled and thus bring condemnation to a person. 1 Corinthians 6.10 speaks this very boldly, and we need to hear that. I don't know if I have it. 1 Corinthians 6.10. I might not, and I apologize if I don't. Not thieves, not the greedy, not drunkards. Not revilers, nor swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. So did God make sex for our enjoyment? Yes. Can it condemn us to hell? Yes. Did God make food for our enjoyment? Yes. Can it condemn a man to hell? Yes. Did God make alcohol for our enjoyment? Yes but it can condemn us to hell if we indulge and make it an idol. Often it's not what we want that is the problem. Sometimes it is, right? The prostitute, always an issue. Malice and slander, desiring this, it's always wrong. But often it's not what we want that is the problem, but how much we care about getting it. Therein lies the sin much of the time. So, if the object of your desire is not something that is always off limits, and if your longing is satisfiable and quenchable, not consuming your life, if both of those are true, then it is a blessing to be enjoyed in moderation with careful attention. I think this is what God's Word would lead us to Believe about our appetites generally. Now, let's give extra special attention to the difficult topic of the appetite for alcohol. I've been here three years now, over three years, and I haven't addressed this. And I think you can't avoid it. It's in the text. We have to consider it. The appetite for alcohol. Again, the, the object itself is not inherently evil. It's not an always off-limits thing that if you desire it, you shouldn't ever touch it. That would be the case for, like we said, a prostitute, a Ouija board. If you want to play a Ouija board with your friends, hear me, that's always wrong. You should curb that desire. But alcohol doesn't fit that category. Scripture does not contain a universal prohibition to all of God's people from alcohol. It's not there. It's not in the Word of God. And so we shouldn't either. It was, it was prohibited for Levites in the Old Testament. Carrying, they were carrying the Ark of the Covenant. They were temple workers. And it was prohibited for these men. It was never allowed in the Holy of Holies but it was allowed in the camp of God's people. Those who took 
a Nazarite vow were prohibited from drinking. This was probably John the Baptist. We don't know for sure, but it was probably John the Baptist that took a Nazarite vow and therefore abstained his entire life from touching alcohol to his lips. But not all Jews were required to prohib- to, to engage in that. It is discouraged for kings and rulers who would have to make important decrees. Probably don't need that in your system. Proverbs 31, verses 4 and 5. It is not for kings to drink wine or for rulers to take strong drink, lest they drink and forget what has been decreed and pervert the rights to all the afflicted. Okay. But again, this is not an outright prohibition for all of God's people. Specific people. Scripture does not contain that. Instead, it shows that there are times which some can properly consume it and enjoy it. We see in 1 Timothy that elders in the church are told not to get drunk. This is a prerequisite for elders to not get drunk. This then entails that some drinking may be acceptable. We also see later in 1 Timothy that those who are sick are encouraged to drink. That's 1 Timothy 5.23. And those that are dying are encouraged to drink. This is Proverbs 31.6. Jesus wouldn't have made it at a, a wedding in Cana if there was no possible holy use for it. There is zero holy, zero possible holy uses for alcohol. There's no comprehensible reason why Jesus would have made it, that others might drink it. But he did. Jesus himself wouldn't have partaken of it if it was evil with no positive qualities to it. But he did. Now, to this you might say, yeah, but it's non-alcoholic. Well, then, if you would say that, that all the verses about wine are non-alcoholic, then you have to answer, why are there 36 verses dealing with and addressing drunkenness in a culture without alcohol? Drunkenness was a very real thing. And also, we would have to deal with, well, why was the crowd so quick to think that the apostles were drunk in Acts chapter 2? If wine was not alcoholic, the very reality is, is that even if it is less potent than today's alcohol, which without a doubt, it was less potent, still, Jesus's wine was still alcoholic and it could lead to drunkenness without a doubt. So the object itself is not inherently evil. And if alcoholic drinks are not sinful by nature, then the sin must lie in the extent in which we would use it and desire it. Alcohol can often be destructive, harmful, and a path straight to many, many, many sins. Proverbs warns of the dangers and pains that can come with alcohol. And there are many of dangers and pains that come with alcohol. We see this in 
probably most clearly in Proverbs 23, verses 29 through 35. In 29 through 30, we see this. I think it's there, Proverbs 29. Yeah, 23, 29 through 30. It says, who has woe? Who has sorrow? Who has strife? Who has complaining? Who has wounds without cause? Who has redness of eyes? Those who tarry long over wine. Those who go to try mixed wine. Consider these verses with me for a second. What is he saying? Well, though it can be at times used to soothe pain, right, for medical purposes, it's just as easy that it can be used to cause pain and add to pain. It can not only be the solution, but the cause to woe and sorrow and strife and complaining and wounds and redness of eyes. Though it has an appeal at first, the consequences to follow are not seen until they are felt. We see that in the next two verses. Verse 31 and 32. Do not look at wine when it is red, when it sparkles in the cup and goes down smoothly. In the end, it bites like a serpent, stings like a viper. has that initial appeal, appeal to it, but the consequences, you don't realize until you feel it. When you're inebriated by alcohol, intoxicated, your vision begins to blur, right? And your judgment is impaired. See that in the next verse, verse 33. Your eyes will see strange things, and your heart utters perverse things. You see what he's saying there? Inebriation will lead to blurry vision and compromised judgment. And this puts you in danger and in dangerous situations which should make you alarmed. Verse 34. You will be like one who lies down in the midst of the sea, like one who lies on the top of a mast. Do you see what he's saying? Imagine the, the imagery that he's using here. You're laying on the, on the sharp and harsh waves of the ocean, and you're just laying there. That's a dangerous situation where you should be alert and scared. Your internal, natural defense mechanism of danger should be going off, and you're just laying or it's like you're laying on the top of a mast that's going crazy in the wind and you're just laying on top of it high up in the air. You should have alarms going off, but you have blurred vision and compromised judgment. Because your built-in defense mechanism that's saying danger, danger, is obscured and compromised, you won't be concerned like you should be. That's the first part of verse 35. If we keep reading, it says, they struck me, you will say. I wasn't hurt. They beat me. I didn't feel it. 
So that's not a brag. That's a problem. You should feel it. And it's a problem that you don't feel it. This means that alcohol can lead us to do things that will harm us and hurt us. And we don't even realize until it's too late. Habakkuk chapter 2. Keep your finger on Proverbs 23. You can actually just stay there. We'll be there back in just one second. But Habakkuk 2.15 really speaks to this. Consider these words. Woe to him who makes his neighbor drink. Why? Well, you pour out your wrath and you make them drunk in order to gaze at their nakedness. What he's saying, what the prophet is saying, is that the neighbor might not have gotten naked and thus done what you could imagine done things if they were sober. But why would they? Well, it was the alcohol that got in their system that, ver- that blurred their vision, compromised their judgment. They were laying on a mast that was flying in the wind, or they were laying on the harsh waves of the sea, and they weren't alarmed about the danger around them. These are the dangers of alcohol. And that's bad. That's great. The last point, if you're still on Proverbs 23, the last part of verse 35 continues on. I didn't read the rest of it earlier. It says, they struck me, you will say, but I, will not, I was not hurt. They beat me, but I did not feel it. When shall I awake? I must have another drink. And this is really the last thing that, I, that I'll say about um, the dangers and the horrors that come with alcohol is that it's addictive. It's addictive. Though it can cause pain, it still allures us back for more. They beat me. They hurt me. I want some more. And isn't this the story of alcoholics? They talk of all the things that alcohol has done to them in their lives, and yet they're drawn for another drink. If alcohol has this grip on you, I don't know everyone's story. Some people are good at hiding it. If alcohol has this grip on you, you have allowed your belly to become your God. It's Philippians 3.19. But there is help. There are those that love you and want to walk through that with you. And there are many ways in which we can serve you. So don't fight that alone. I just want to say that the off chance that somebody might need to hear that. So here's a summary so far. Alcohol is not sinful by nature. God gives it to us to enjoy just like a juicy steak and a beautiful sunset. Alcohol can easily, I would say it often is, be destructive and harmful to those who consume it without care. It's not inherently evil, but it is so easy to become destructive and harmful in your life. Like any other good gift which is given by God, it hurts us if we abuse it. Excessive love for sex leads to adultery. Excessive love for food leads to gluttony. And excessive love for alcohol and a desire for it leads to drunkenness. And so many other things that come and follow after that. That's the summary so far. So what do we do with this biblical information? I have two takeaways for application. 
Firstly, we shouldn't prohibit where God gives cautious freedom. Let me say that again. Based on what we've read, what we've seen in the text, first takeaway is that we should not prohibit where God gives cautious freedom. Legislating morality is not our job. It's God's through his word. The Pharisees added to his word, we should not. Now, to that, I anticipate two thoughts that may cross your mind. The first might be, doesn't he realize our church covenant prohibits handling and consuming alcohol? Has he not read our church covenant? Maybe that's what you're thinking. I have read it. I do know it's in there. And as your pastor who must teach the whole counsel of God must say, I think it's wrong. I think it's wrong. I don't think it should be in there. And it being in there, I I can say I am confident that when it was written in there, it was written in a genuine love for holiness and a care for our church and the people in it. I do not doubt the intentions behind when it was written in there. I believe it was genuinely in a love for holiness and for our church, without a doubt. But bylaws must be subject to Scripture. And this has no cited Scripture to support it. Even in the text of, the, of our church covenant, there is no cited Scripture to support why we would prohibit it. This should cause reservation for us. I do want to say, though, if you're an IBC member, okay, as long as your bylaws and our bylaws would prohibit it, you are bound to abstain. Not because alcohol is a sin, but because breaking a covenant that you've made is a sin. That's why. The second thought that may cross your mind is, but alcohol isn't good for people, Isaac. I'm just trying to protect the people I love. And again, I I trust your heart is, I trust your heart is likely in the right place. You really want to protect and take care of those that you love. Maybe you've seen the def- devastation that has come with alcohol, and you don't wish that on anyone, especially those that you love. So just have them stay away from it entirely. And you know what? If I can just speak candidly and my personal opinion, I also think the cons and the dangers far outweigh the pros, personally. I do. I would agree with you that the cons outweigh the pros. That's my personal opinion, but that's not the point, is it? We don't make our bylaws based on our opinions or preferences. These aren't the, that's not the point. We don't have the authority to deny another person their Christian liberty if they're given that in Scripture. Just imagine, you know the story of of Peter, the book of Acts, God would have a blanket come down or a sheet come down and there's animals on it and he says eat Peter it's clean for you now could you imagine if we just said Peter don't do it don't eat from it 
Abstain. That's a snake. Don't eat a snake. Oh, that would not be good for you. When God told him he could, he can, who are we to say, don't listen to that? You can't touch it. I think a good analogy would be parents instilling godliness in their young adult child and warning them of the dangers of the world, but eventually we'll have to release them to learn for themselves, right? At some point, they go off to college or they move away, and at some point, they leave your protection, and all you can do at that point is warn and let them experience the world. And that's how it should be with alcohol. I think we should warn of the dangers of it, regularly warning, and I would even say in our church covenant, probably discouraging the use of alcohol. But we've overstepped God if we prohibit it. That's the first point that I want to make applicationally based on the text that we've considered here is that we should not prohibit where God has given cautious freedom. The second point that I want us to make is that in this freedom, we ought to be vigilant, proactively cautious with alcohol. It is very dangerous. Another analogy would be, we know the dangers of guns. They're not a joke. They kill people. So we should encourage Gun safety courses. Now, I'm not equating guns and alcohol and saying they're equal. Don't hear that. Please don't hear that. What I'm saying is we should know the danger of something and thus instruct people of that danger and warn them of it if they are going to handle that thing. That's all I'm saying. We do that with guns. We should do that with alcohol. It is very dangerous. It is deadly. It can rip apart families, and destroy lives. We should warn about that. Knowing the dangers of alcohol, we must be extreme, and I mean extreme, in our control over any appetite for it. Proverbs 23, verse 1 through 3. When you sit down to eat with a ruler, observe carefully what is before you, and put a knife to your throat. If you are given to appetite, do not desire his delicacies, for they are deceptive food. You see from this, if an appetite would lead us to sin, maybe covetousness, coveting what somebody else has that God hasn't given you. If your appetite would lead you to sin, put a knife to your throat. Not literally, metaphorically, we should take our appetites very seriously, and be extreme in our control over them. This is no less true, if not more true, with alcohol. And to this point, I think there are two helpful tips in keeping control over your appetite. Any appetite, including alcohol. Firstly, you should tell yourself no every once in a while. If you're, I'm really speaking to non-members of IBC, because IBC members, it's no all the time. But assuming you have the Christian freedom to enjoy the blessing of alcohol, you should tell yourself no every once in a while when you want it just to prove that you can say no. Proverbs 25, verse 28, a man without self-control 
is like a city broken into and left without walls. Make sure you have self-control. I think a good way of gauging that is tell yourself no every once in a while when you really would like it. Tell yourself no so that you know you can. Secondly, always be moderate in your use. Drinking in particular, excess is always, always, always sin. Always sin. But we should always be moderate in our use of any appetite, especially alcohol. I, this will be my last thing, but I appreciate this example in Proverbs uh, where it uses honey to make this point. Honey. One place in Proverbs 24, verse 13, we see that honey is a good thing by nature. It says, my son, eat honey for it is good and the drippings of the honeycomb are sweet to your taste. He says, enjoy it. Go have it. Love it. I have made it for your blessing. But don't eat too much of it. Proverbs 25, 27. It is not good to eat much honey. Nor is it glorious to seek one's own glory. You see, enjoy it. Go have it. Have some. Enjoy the taste of it. Don't have too much of it. Enjoy the blessing of it in moderation. Eat in moderation because excess will harm you and ruin you. Proverbs 25, 16. If you have found honey, eat only enough for you, lest you have your fill of it and you vomit it. You see that? Enjoy it. Don't eat too much of it. When you do, it's not good. It's not good. And I think that's true for alcohol as well. In Christian freedom, always have it in moderation. Excess will always harm you. So, at the end of the day, church, I want all of us to love God, submit to His Word. I want us to stay true to our convictions if they're word-centered, not impose our convictions on others, respect others' convictions. I want us to love holiness, genuinely love holiness and honoring God with our bodies and our decisions and our appetites. And I want us to love one another, even in our differences and of opinion, we would love one another and love church unity. Amen? Thanks for listening to today's sermon. If you live in or near Bethany, Missouri, we invite you to join us for our worship services held on Sunday morning and Sunday evenings, as well as our various activities on Wednesday nights. For more information on how you can get involved, visit our website at bethanyibc.com. 